Welcome back to the BeFit Podcast. I'm here with Eva Claire Sienkowski, a longtime mentor of mine, someone that I've looked up to for a very, very long time. EC, aka the MVP, aka the People's Champ, <laughs> aka the 800 gram goddess. Guys, welcome EC to the podcast. Oh my goodness, the MVP. Wow. Yes, I'm so happy to be here and good to see you, Connor. Great to see you as well. Yeah, so people don't, people didn't think they know we're going to start <laughs> off with the MVP conversation, but we, we may get to that later. Um, I'm so excited and I'm every time that I see your posts, every time that I see everything that you're doing, it is incredibly motivating to me because of the mm-hmm. simplicity that you bring to a topic that so many people want to nuke in the, in the terms of like, just overthink. And, um, and so I'm hoping that the people from that are listening to this podcast will be able to hear from you some actual, you know, things that they can incorporate in their diet and their nutrition to help them move towards a path to getting their markers towards fit. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, uh, it's funny, my, my drive for simplicity actually comes from my first career in environmental consulting, where we had to convince jury trials, not convince, I guess, prove is the better word of, (laughs) you know, who's responsible. And one of the first things I turned into my expert witness, it was like a page long about, you know, the data. And he's like, what is this a mystery novel? (laughs) And so he was master of clarity. And so if I bring any clarity to the nutrition space, it was because I was, I worked for someone who was an expert at it for seven years. So, yeah. And that's, and it's amazing because the level of education that you have and the, in the depth that you went to understand what you're talking about to then, in my opinion, from seeing, from working on you uh, with the CrossFit uh, seminar staff it was like the more knowledge you were getting, the simpler you were making it for people to get mm. on the right track. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in the CrossFit space, Coach B, Coach Bergner is a huge motivation for that. I remember one of my early days working with him and just being so impressed with how simple he made it. You know, those complex lifts at the snatch and the clean and jerk for everybody. And, I, and he was so encouraging that everybody could do it regardless of their skill level. And I think, I think there needs to be more of that in the nutrition space. Like there's a lot of this you know, talk about kind of the physiological level, which is, which is interesting, but it's like, Hey, let's distill this down for people who aren't experts so that they can really go apply this and make some change. Yeah. And I think distill it down for people that aren't experts, but also it's like, have it make sense to someone. Right. You know, it's like, cool. We start, you start talking about hormones and all this stuff and they're like, "Uh, okay, so, so is it, can I eat this? Is this what I can eat? Totally. And you're like, yeah, totally. Yes. No. Or maybe not as much as this, more of this. Totally. Yeah, that's what I want. And I use the tax example all the time. That's what I want from my accountant or my tax guy. Like, just tell me what I'm paying. All right. Like, <laughs> I don't want to know anything. Just tell me what I'm paying. Right. So yeah, for sure. So let's talk about, let's dive into the 800 gram challenge. What mm-hmm. was the, what was the driving force behind that? And you know, what results have you seen from it? And, and how was it where it's kind of, I mean, it, from my standpoint, it's what I see as kind of the staple for what you're doing or giving to people and even though you have all of this knowledge between you know every other source of food, what's behind the 800 gram challenge? Yeah, I would consider that sort of how people know me as a brand, or maybe the intro <laughs> intro program for me. It's certainly not the be all and end all of nutrition, but a lot of people are looking for kind of quick tips and easy things to do. And the 800 gram challenge certainly meshes with that quite well. And so the 800 gram challenge is to eat 800 grams by weight. We're talking about weight of fruits and vegetables of your choice every day. And then you continue to eat whatever else you want. So you pick the fruits and veggies, potatoes are in there, um, all types of fruit are in there, 
Um, and so you pick which ones you like. Doesn't have to be all broccoli. Get to 800 grams, and then you continue to have other things in your diet. Now, how did that come to be? Well, it didn't come looking at my own diet, which I think is something that we gets mixed up a little bit in the nutrition space. There's a lot of people who put out diets that they came up with on their own um, and didn't really test it on other people where really we'd want something that has been tested across a large number of people, or at least, you know, we have evidence that people are doing it besides one person. Right. And so that 800 gram number actually came from a study where they were looking at, Hey, how many, how many fruits and vegetables do people eat? And then what happens to them in terms of death and disease? They were looking at risk for like cardiovascular disease and stroke and cancer and just all causes of dying. And no surprise, the 800 gram number is where the risks of all of them went down. So when people ate 800 grams of fruits and vegetables each day, their risk of cancer, stroke, cardiovascular disease, and all causes of dying decreased. And so I saw that study. I was like, that's a really interesting idea. Now they weren't posing it as like, Hey, here's a new diet. They were just looking at risk as researchers do. And I was like, that's really interesting. What if I try to eat 800 grams each day with no other rules and restrictions, just see what happens. And so this was summer of 2017. I was still doing my master's in nutrition and functional medicine. And I played with it for six months because I thought it was a cool idea, but it's like, well, what are the calories represented here? And, and how does this shake out across many weeks? And what are the macronutrients and what are the rules? Like if you put an idea, a diet idea out there, you, you better be ready for questions. So you got to play with it forward and back. And I did. And, you know, Nicole Christensen, our friend at CrossFit Roots, I roped her into it. I was worried because I'm six feet tall. I was like, is this actually manageable for other people? Like, so testing out for a bit, thought it was like just a really cool, simple way to remove some of the dogma and get people focused on adding a healthy amount of fruits and vegetables to their diet. So I kind of publicly launched it in 2018. And, and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, I think people... This is more so than I thought, like just the mental shift people have, like so many times with dieting, people think about, oh, shoot, what I can't eat, right? And now I'm telling you what to add, and I'm not taking anything away. And so I think people really appreciate that. But some of the results, yeah, I, I, for weight loss, but I think most of them come out of people just like better energy, better energy in their fitness and their workouts, better recovery, which is just not surprising, given the, the nutrient density of those items. So so yeah, those are those are all kind of the benefits that I've heard and seen so far. And it's again, I just want to stress to people, it's not a panacea. Um, it's not going to fix everything. But when you're looking for a great way to kind of change your diet for the better, I think it's a really great place to start. And and you're kind of talking about you referenced sorry. <clears throat> you referenced, hey, yeah, there's some weight loss, there's some better feeling energy. But I feel like an important piece to that is the psychological understanding of food now, where if your goal is to eat 800 grams now, and, and again, just for someone who's like, what does 800 grams mean? Meaning you get a scale, you take whatever you're going to eat for fruit and you weigh that and the amount of weight in grams you consume and you have to in, in anything there. So it's not 800 grams of carbohydrates that you have to eat via fruit. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're not counting the peel that you're not consuming. It's whatever goes in your body. If you're like me, you eat it all anyways. But um, but like the, I think the psychological piece is so important there because a lot of people go into a grocery store and they're like, what shouldn't I get? Mm -hmm. And when, you're, when, you, when you start to give yourself this option of, hey, I'm hungry, what should I eat? You know I have to get these amount of grams in. So let's get some whole unprocessed food. And because it it's easy with you know fruits and vegetables, you're not in that you're not in the aisles. You're not in like the well. These are vegetable chips, so it's just like mm, just <laughs> eat the vegetables in this. I think it it 
it takes down that barrier of, oh my gosh, I'm on a diet and I have to eat these. Or when I'm hungry, I can eat this. And people are relatively more satiated from eating something, uh, even like about fruit and vegetable with the fruits, something that has a little bit more sugar content, something that feels better rather than being like, oh, I have to eat. Now here's, you know, five pieces of kale, four pieces of spinach that are in there. And it's like, mm. so I think, I, I think too, I mean, I'm sure you've seen results in the, in the psychological part, which could then potentially add in more things to a diet to, yeah. to get people moving even further in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. I mean, half of the battle of nutrition is kind of momentum and being able to build consistency of habits. And so that's part of it too. It's like, let people have some flexibility with a simple solution and, um, just to back up a little bit, I'm glad you mentioned weighing on one on a scale, which is certainly part of it. But for your audience, that's like, okay, well, that's a nice idea. Not doing that. 800 grams is also about six cups and a closed adult fist is about one cup. So that's another way that you can go about it. Like a good size apple is about a cup, right? So you can do kind of six fists a day and you can get there as well. So no excuses if you don't have a scale and you're interested in trying but yeah, the flexibility is huge too. I think there's a lot in the nutrition space that's like, you can only eat locally sourced raspberries in season, you know? And it's like, okay, give me a break. You know, you can have the banana, you can have the orange, you can have potatoes. They're very healthy. You know, people will be like, oh, I was at an airport yesterday. And so I had to do two apples and a banana. I'm like, that's fabulous. That's so healthy. There shouldn't be this less than idea of these items and that it doesn't always need to be kale and broccoli. And yes, those are wonderful and healthy foods. But you can be very healthy eating peppers and carrots and, gosh, the potato or something like that. So I just also just love the flexibility. I think it's almost like a gateway diet, just getting people back to eating um, a good, healthy diet because they have so much freedom and flexibility of what they're picking. That's awesome. And it's it's interesting, too, when you're like, oh, no, I ate three pieces of fruit. And, you know, you look at like you're like relative to especially in an airport. Like you're, you're right. hard pressed, to, <laughs> you're hard pressed to find those items. Right. And it's like, totally the closest I can get is, you know, you look in there and you're like, all right, so there's some dried mangoes and right. there's only a little bit of everything crap that's added to it. And so it's like, okay, this is what I'll take. So yeah, I mean, relative to other options. And I've seen you talk about that too. It's like you go into a gas station. It's like, what do you, what are you eating? Why, why is it? so easy to overeat. If these foods are relatively healthy, I mean, nothing, it's not like, you know, it's like rat poison is right next to the, the you know, the potato skins, but <laughs> if they are relatively healthy, how and why is it so easy to overeat these things? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just <laughs> a lot of misconceptions about things like potato and fruit and that, oh, they're so high in carb and ho so high in sugar. And it's like, um, Okay, maybe relative to asparagus, but not relative to like the cinnamon rolls or the potato chips and all that stuff. And if, if they really were the root cause of our chronic obesity epidemic or our chronic disease epidemic, then we would see the gas stations and, you know, all of the different checkout lines being lined with bananas and potatoes. And instead, it's all of the processed stuff. And that processed stuff, it's it's fine. You can have some in a healthy diet. I'm certainly not here to tell you that my diet is all salmon and broccoli, but it's just so calorically dense. Every time you take a bite of something like chips, they can have five times the amount of calories that you would find in fresh fruits or vegetables. And so, yeah, it's just like, guys, the foods that we're overeating are the processed ones. And so anytime you make a choice that looks more like a whole unprocessed food, you you probably are doing a, a better service to your diet overall in terms of getting your calories in line and also getting all those nutrients in line, like the vitamins, minerals, fiber, et cetera. 
I love the post where you have a plate of food and you're like, <laughs> this is this many grams of X, Y, Z. Right. This is also this. And I, I had that discussion yesterday when someone came up and, you know, someone in our office brought in like cookies and donuts and stuff. And they were, and I, you know, kind of relaying the same message that you're saying is they looked at the cookie and like, oh, that's like bad for me. And it's like, well, you could probably get the same amount of carbohydrates from that as you would your salad, <clears throat> but you'd have to break off a crumb and eat it. You know, it's, <clears throat> they're so calorically dense that totally. that's how over, how so easy it is to overeat. And very rarely are you ever eating a serving. You know, very rarely it's, it's just like, oh, yep, just having this little piece. Oh, good to go. You know, it's just so easy to have one, two, three of them. And now it's like, okay, you just consumed 100 grams of carbohydrates. How do you think that's going to derail your homeostasis of, of hormones and how that's going to affect it? So, Yeah, and that's actually, I would say, what I have to battle a little bit with the 800-gram challenge. There's a massive disconnect for people between understanding that fullness does not equate to calories consumed and so, of course, with nutrition, lots of people are interested in weight goals and, and weight goals come down to eating fewer calories than you're um, burning in terms of weight loss. And a lot of people, when they do the 800-gram challenge, they feel very full. And that's true. They're filling up on fruits and vegetables. The difference is they just have a very low caloric density. And so they actually end up eating fewer calories overall compared to the chips and the cookies. But then they'll think, well, I didn't eat that many chips and cookies because I don't feel very full. And it's like, yeah, and the calories could have been equal or more than. So there's, mm -hmm. that is a little bit tough with the 800 gram challenge because sometimes people will feel so full. I'm eating so much food is what they think. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm eating so much. And it's like, you are in terms of volume, but not in terms of calories. So that is where I have to spend the most time in terms of education. Because again, these processed foods are so calorically dense that you can easily eat several hundred calories and not necessarily feel very full. In fact, you know, a pint of ice cream can be 1200 calories. And so even if you just do half of that, you can have 600 calories. You're not full after a half pint of ice cream. My goodness. <laughs> and it's also very difficult to have a pint of ice cream and eat half of it. Correct. We typically go for the whole thing. So there you are maybe at 1200 calories. And to do that in fruits and vegetables, you would need to have close to 1200 grams of fruits and vegetables. So you know, a one and a half, 800 gram challenges to get that many calories. It's 12 fists. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> um, now, as in the terms of like being full, right, that's, that's, that's something that, you know, in, in my opinion, it is, it's such a subjective term that I feel like people are mm -hmm. so, and they're like, and there's this like stigma of, you know, you should you shouldn't be hungry. That's, that's like bad or it slows mm -hmm. down a bunch of different things. And you know, what I do regularly is intermittent fasting because of the simplicity of it. And because it works for me, knowing it's not going to work for everyone. But sure. a lot of times people are like, well, aren't you hungry? I'm like, probably, but I've done it so long. And I understand kind of the ebbs and flows of what's actually happening where I'm, I'm going to be consistent here. And it does you can't get that by doing it for a couple of days. So what is your, what is your thought process on? Like, if someone's like, Oh, I was so hungry. I had to eat. Like, what is, mm. what is your thought? on Yeah. That? Hunger's tough. Um, you know, you are going to be hungry for weight loss. I think there's this idea that I could, you know, you, you can lose weight and it's never going to be difficult or challenging. It's like, no, <laughs> you're probably going to be hungry. Now it doesn't mean ravenous hunger all the time and, and can't think straight ever, but it does mean you probably are going to have mild hunger more days than not, because that's what happens with hunger. Your body is trying to keep yourself at the current weight that it is. And, and so it's trying to cue you into eating. 
So you kind of have to accept there's going to be hunger. Um, I also agree with you, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, that I do think there's a little bit of getting used to it. And that is something that I like about fasting. Now, again, for your listeners, I'm not talking about extreme caloric deficits. We're totally under eating and being unhealthy. I'm not talking about that practice at all. (laughs) But it is definitely okay to be hungry. It's okay to skip a meal periodically, just as we've overeaten meals before. I can attest to that. We can also skip a meal. The body is remarkably resilient. And so I do think, especially in the beginning, um, you know, trying not to do a big caloric deficit and just accepting mild hunger and sitting with it for a little while, it it does actually get easier. Like, oh yeah, I can still keep doing emails or go meet. And we're not going to maybe go start our intense CrossFit workout like that, but um, we can certainly continue to do some stuff around the house or whatever and have mild hunger and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I have a love hate relationship with fasting. I do think it simplifies the equation, but that is something that I took away from it that I really did enjoy. And that was just sort of this flexibility idea that like the body's resilient. I don't have to have five perfect meals a day. I can skip one and it's going to be okay. (laughs) I can live with a little bit of hunger, all of that stuff. And, and I think I've seen success in fasting with people I've recommended it to not prescribed recommended it to, because a lot of the people that I've worked with that I've been able to be a hundred percent there for are these touring artists. And so yeah. when we have these specific meal times, when I say, I know I can control every factor of what we're eating from noon until eight. And then beyond that, I mean, these, 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 you know, men and women are playing shows from midnight to two in the morning. And at two in the morning, if your diet is keto, it's going to be very, very difficult for you unless you planned ahead of time to, to do all of these things or if your diet is, you know, X, Y, Z. So in those moments, if you are already feeding, you know, you know whatever it is appropriate for you or, you know, you as an organism, like it is your diet is to not eat so you can you have that availability. And right. for like weight loss and for, you know, obviously extended periods where there's all this, all these other things that are going on, if you have stored fat and you, and you don't have a low body fat percentage, you know, if someone, if someone didn't have a performance goal that was tied to intermittent fasting, I'd be very nervous to introduce them to that because people will start to realize very quickly, if I stop eating, I'm going to lose weight. Like that's going to happen. But when, when all of a sudden your performance is affected by it and you, and these other things, and it's like, Hey, we need to bump this up more. Maybe this window is too big for you, or maybe the meals in between weren't good enough. But I mean, it, to your point there, it's like, yeah, maybe going a little bit without eating isn't going to be the worst thing in the world. And, and the simplicity of it, very similar to the 800 gram challenge is like, this yeah. is like, I'm going to eat this. And then it's almost like, you know, good luck trying to get good luck trying to continue to overeat as if you were eating for 24 hours or good luck trying to overeat. And when you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, it like simplifies totally. it because you're not going to be as hungry in that. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think it can be a good, simple solution. I think the reason why I kind of have a a hate relationship to it is I think people think it's something magical beyond controlling quantity and that they think that there's all this additional benefits to it beyond controlling quantity. And it's like, no, the, the benefits are because you're controlling quantity. And if that's how you do it, sure enough, go for it. But it's not like a, a new mythical answer. (laughs) What are your thoughts on extended fasting? Hmm. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff for the, I'm assuming you're talking about it, especially for like longevity and health reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When people talk about autography and like the things that are happening as you continue to go through. Yeah. So like 
the the problem with some of that stuff is especially it's going to be derived from animal studies where the animals are not exposed to the same stressors that we would be exposed to in a longer life period. So like living in cages where they're not exposed to germs and having to have a fully functional immune system, living in cages where maybe they don't need the bone density to be able to support themselves. And so there are some things that it's not a real environment and we need to make sure that we're fueling adequately for our health systems to work as well. And so this is where I think gets a little bit lost in the caloric restriction research. It's like we can't extrapolate from mice and cages to humans in the real world being exposed to lots of different stuff. We want to be really careful to do to do that. And, and so we just don't have the evidence to suggest it's going to be as effective for humans. And what we do have with the human evidence is that it, it looks to be the magic for fasting comes to getting the right quantity in line, which if you do it by fasting, great. If you want to do it by cutting calories, great. If you want to do it by the Instagram challenge, great. It all kind of all roads lead back to controlling quantity is certainly important, but there's not an additional benefit above and beyond for caloric restriction, especially once we start looking at, um, you know, limiting nutrients that are going to be necessary for health in the long term. That's really interesting thinking about it like that because that's obviously mm. for, you know, in like layman's terms or someone who's like, oh, I like fasting because of X, Y, Z. They're not going to, they're not going to have act. Well, they're not going to gain access to that information or seek access to that information because what's given to you is, you know, someone who has a podcast that's, you know, has some, has some titles in front of their name. Unlike me, I, there's no titles in front of my name. I just, <laughs> I just get smart people to talk uh, on it, but you know, and it's like, here's, here's all these benefits and like, oh, okay. But that makes complete and total sense. And I think sometimes when you hear that these people have access to do these extended periods of fasting over a weekend where they're in their homes and they're not, you know, they're not having to go through work and they're not having to do this stuff. And you have, you know, your hot sauna and your cold plunge and you have all of these things supporting it. And then you're pushing it out there to be like, Hey, go for it. And then you get someone who's on a 48 hour fast, who's like trying to drive to work and is, and is sitting there and not able to complete emails and other things are going on. So it's really interesting. I think we also have to be careful. And this, this happens all the time. We can't take short-term studies and extrapolate to long-term results. So this would even be your example of the person who does the three-day fast and has a successful experience with it. We still don't know what that looks like for them 30 years in of doing that. Um, and this is similar to like, people will look at like an insulin spike after a meal or a muscle protein synthesis increase after a workout. And then they'll be like, okay, this means I'm going to add muscle mass, or this means that my insulin is too high. It's like, no, 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 no. We want to know if it adds muscle mass. We have to look at muscle mass in the long term. We want to know if your insulin is too high. We have to look at fasting insulin in the long term. We can't look at four hours after an event. Same thing with cold plunges. People will look at cold plunges and be like, oh, it decreases inflammation markers. And it's like, okay, Maybe it does in the short term, but does it change my performance in the long term? That's what we care about, right? We care about performance markers, health markers, weight markers, and not today in this moment, but like 30 years from now, I think, <laughs> or five years from now, I think, right? And so that gets a little bit lost too. Now, I do want to be clear on the fasting thing. There are some people, and this is true with the cold plunge, there are some people who do those endeavors more for the mental side of it. Maybe it's like a fortitude thing or a difficult thing. And I'm not against that. I just think that there is some stuff put out there as though there are these additional benefits when those really haven't been proven. On top of that, I see a lot of this happening with the THC, cannabis, CBD stuff mm. coming out. And it's like, yeah. hey, this can really help. 
but we can't say that because none of it has really been proved. There's not enough research and documentation on it. Do you have any thoughts down that alley of like the CBD, THC cannabis world? Yeah, you know, I probably should do some more research on that. But from <laughs> what I recall, like it's only been approved for like two medical cases by the FDA. I think it's like drug-resistant epilepsy if I have my memory right on that and other cases there, it just isn't the evidence for it. Um, and then especially with things like CBD and CBD supplements, supplements are, can be useful in certain cases. I certainly don't want to say that no supplements are never useful, but supplements are very unregulated. And so with CBD supplements, um, but any supplement really, oftentimes there's issues where what you think you're getting is not exactly what you're getting either to the levels that they say it is and or potentially other contamination. And so we just don't have the evidence that CBD is like widely useful for a lot of the things that it's being um, touted for. But admittedly, I haven't looked again in the research, at least for the last year or so on that. So I do want to do want to go back to that. But like I said, I think it's only been really cleared for drug resistant epilepsy, but I might have that wrong. One of my favorite things that you and I used to do was talk about Uh the labels of supplements. And Uh I remember because I was just like this, like pre-workout fiend. I used to love on strength days. Like if it made me feel like my skin was on fire, I wanted it. And you'd, you'd read the labels and like, like the, the first ingredient was like, like super specific scientific good stuff. And you're like, what? And then under it was a bunch of stuff you couldn't read. But yeah, in like the supplement world, is there anything that you're like, I mean, I know it's not like, you know, right, trial. Try it, see how you feel. There's like long-term stuff. But is there anything like, hey, I'd lean more towards this and potentially lean more away from this? Hmm. Yeah, I don't ever recommend any supplements broadly for the most part. Um, Just I think a lot of our goals can be achieved without it. From a performance standpoint, I put two what I call in the worth a shot bucket. um, And those would be caffeine and creatine. There is enough evidence to suggest that people can have performance improvements with them. Not everybody, but the overwhelming majority of people do see some improvement when the training and the dose is correct. And one of the things that happens with, especially with supplements that I'm looking for is I don't want to say this is like a standard that's put out there in the science, but like when I'm looking for effects, I want to see that the supplement gives me at least 5% performance gain. So it's like if somebody's bench pressing a hundred pounds and then they take the supplement, can they then press 105 pounds? Because a lot of times supplements will show a quote significant effect as we know statistically, but it might be that that person who benched a hundred pounds now is benching 101. (laughs) And you're like, okay, that's interesting that they just get more sleep that day or what's going on. Like that, that is such a small effect that I don't know that I'd tell everyone to go take that thing. So I look for performance improvements at at least 5% because to me, we're getting outside of what would be considered a typical placebo effect. And so caffeine and and creatine, creatine especially is is higher than 5% in many, many studies. Caffeine um, is closer to the five, 10% range. And so those would be ones that I would have people consider looking into, especially if they have really specific performance goals. That's that's interesting, obviously, because those are the two things that I'm currently doing for the and for any of the research that I've done. It almost seems as though creatine is one of the only things where there's scientific proof of or a scientific fact, which is different than a you know a law or a actual fact of 100 percent of the time. But to be proven to help with recovery, to help with mm-hmm. with muscle growth and all of that. But 
now it's like, okay, cool. Someone hears this and like caffeine and we have creatine. <laughs> so I'm going to get, go. you know, I'm going to get, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the GNC recommendation is. And I'm going to drink four Celsius a day and EC and right. I'm going to get fucking jacked. <laughs> is there, is there a process of maybe vetting this may be better for you than this in the realm of mm. caffeine and creatine? Yeah. Um, well, I liked your kind of first point. Let's, let's even before just vetting the supplements, but like, Hey, if you're not eating adequate levels of protein, which I consider 0.7 grams per pound of body weight, I know everyone, a lot of people recommend higher. I think 0.7 grams per pound of body weight is, is great for a lot of people. A lot of people. Um, if you're not getting consistently good amount of fruits and veggies, if you're not training, you know, consistently at least a few times a week, if not more, if you're not sleeping enough, okay, the caffeine and creatine is not where we start. <laughs> it's not going to do it. It's Dang not going to do it. Dang it, EC. I thought I was on to something. Like just taking the <laughs> caffeine and creatine just doesn't add muscle mass. Like we need the training stimulus to be there, but then we also need the sleep to be there to have the training stimulus. And we need the protein so that the training stimulus is doing something, right? Like all of these things fit together. So, and that's a big thing. Like I don't want to keep harping on that, but you know, it's like 77% of people aren't meeting the the exercise recommendations of aerobic and strength training exercise. And then we have 90% of people aren't eating enough vegetables in the US. We have seven over 70% of people are eating too much quantity. So I think a lot of times we do jump to these caffeine and creatine ideas before some of the basics are in place. So thank you for letting me go on my diatribe about consistency. <laughs> um, Creatine, you know, I think there's a lot of hype about the different supplements, um, but really any creatine monohydrate is is generally fine. I guess there's always a concern about contamination. So you can look at consumer labs or something like NSF certified to help you kind of guide you towards a, a brand, but you don't need a specific type of creatine like creatine monohydrate is fine. And then same thing with caffeine. There is a new marketing push out there that I've seen that's like natural caffeine. I'm like... <laughs> Does that mean? Um, is that different than caffeine organic is, caffeine? Right. It's like, okay, it doesn't matter, but whatever. Um, so those are fine. What you will see in a ton of pre-workouts that people will swear by that I, I know that you've probably dabbled in a few of these, they'll have all this other stuff in there. And then if you look close enough, there will be caffeine. And that is why people feel the effect and actually maybe see a performance benefit. It's not all the other stuff, but um, it's, it's in a ton of pre-workouts. And... A significant amount when you really look mm. at it. When you're like, Can okay, be, yeah, yeah sure. you know, if I'm like, you know, I don't want to drink too much coffee because I don't want to have too much caffeine. And, and it's like a regular cup of coffee, depending on who you are, how you're preparing it. It's somewhere between 80 and 120 milligrams of caffeine. Totally. But a lot of these are like, we're talking like 250 to 300 milligrams of caffeine per scoop. And so when totally. you feel like you're going to run through a brick wall, you're like, well, yeah, because your body is, you know, you just overloaded it with you know, and is that good? Is that bad? I, I don't know. Well, it's funny. Those will be all these energy drinks and they're like B vitamins. And I'm like, guys, it's the 250 milligrams of caffeine. It's not the B vitamins. Um, what is your thought then? And here's something that I've been dabbling with because I, I've, I've graduated from the, I'm taking, you know, the, the total war or the, you know, the, the, the annihilation punisher supplementation, but I have started taking just straight beta alanine. Mm. And I feel, again, this is just, I take it, I train, yeah. I've, been, I've been feeling how I feel like when I work out, I feel my cardiorespiratory endurance earlier in the workout is, is working. I don't mm. feel, 
you know, if I don't properly warm up and I don't get my heart rate to spike multiple times and come back down, if I don't do that, but I'm taking beta alanine, I don't feel that like that panic feeling when you're two and a half minutes into a workout and you're like, "Uh Oh, heart rate's really high right now. I have seen and felt some success, but I haven't, I don't know enough information about it to, to tell someone, Hey, I recommend this or here's what's happening. I'm like, well, there's ants crawling in my face. And then I feel like I work out better. (laughs) Yeah. The itchiness. Yeah. Yeah, beta alanine, it does get recommended frequently. I think you probably know as well, Matt Fraser uh, has recommended or was a strong proponent of beta alanine. Um, And yeah, the research on beta alanine, it doesn't really push performance consistently over 5%. There are certainly some studies that will be in the few percent range of improvement performance. And so sometimes I just like to qualify it for people. It's like, okay, we might be talking about like six to 10 seconds off of a mile time that generally a lot of us could improve just by running more. (laughs) You know, we don't necessarily need the supplement. Um, But yeah, it is, it is the, the mechanism of action is such that it can potentially improve your tolerance at high intensities. Um, And so it does make sense in the way that you've described it. Now, what I would encourage you to do and with all of your listeners is this is how so many things go. Well, I tried it and I feel better. Feelings are a great metric of feelings, and that's about it. What we want to know is, did performance change? And what's difficult about performance is there are so many factors that come into play, technique, sleep, other things in your diet, such that you'd want to try to, and this is why we do controlled trials to actually look across lots of people, blah, blah, blah. But for you, N of one experiment, you'd kind of want to I don't know, do at least a month where you try to keep the other stuff consistent. You try to keep the diet consistent. You try to keep the sleep consistent. You do enough workouts where you say, okay, I use beta alanine for 30 workouts. Now I'm going to repeat those 30 workouts without it trying to keep my diet the same, trying to keep my sleep the same. So now we're looking at 60 days of doing this so we can really see, okay, with beta alanine, 20 of my 30 workouts went better. And without beta beta alanine, only 10 of my 30 workouts went better, right? Or something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, which admittedly is just really hard to do in real life. You know, it's ha- to be consistent with diet and sleep and training for people. And this is why I just encourage people, especially once the research says beta alanine performance improvements might be few percent, one, two percent. It's like, I think you just probably need to train better and sleep more. <laughs> but I don't want to discount it because there are some studies that show some slight improvement. So um, that would be how I would go about kind of evaluating it. You see, I don't think people want the hard truth here. Okay. People want to hear, you take beta alanine, you're going to win the CrossFit Games. Matt Frazier took it. He won the CrossFit Games. Correlate, maybe. Causal, 100%. It's crazy, though. People will get, have expectation effect from supplements. Like, for example, the power of Matt Fraser telling somebody, I take this supplement and I know it improves my performance. That fact regardless of what's happening, like in a cell aside, that alone, that expectation effect can improve people's performance, which is crazy. The brain is so crazy. And so I do like to remind people that I think Matt Fraser should take beta alanine or whatever his routine was because he believed he should take beta alanine. The jury is still out of how much that really mattered for his performance <laughs> in terms of like, was this working on a mechanistic level? But like in the application right now, somebody at that type of level is fighting for 1%. If they believe it's working, they should keep doing it. But we then have to just check our context a little bit and be like, okay, me as, you know, just this normal person living my life, trying to stay healthy and fit, does 1% off of my mile time matter relative to the other things in my life? Ah, I probably just need to train harder and focus on like good quality diet, you know? That's such a great, that's such a great point. And 
and especially with when you talk about the mental side of things where, you know, as <clears throat> my previous military training and training for the CrossFit games and all this stuff, it was like, they're like, it's 99% mental, whatever people who haven't gone through it. And like, well, that looks pretty fucking physical to me. This is, this is pretty much all it looks like. But I relate it to when I ran the Boston marathon and at mile 14, um, rebut, not when I wore a bottle service girl, I was going to say, this, not. Was, <laughs> <clears throat> this is when I had normal shorts on. Okay. Um, the team at Reebok, they had a station where they were passing out like the cliff bar gooeys or whatever it was. And at mile 14, I mean, I remember you were like halfway through and you're like, okay, this sucks. Why did I sign up for this? This is, I'm, I'm an idiot. And we start going through and this cheering section starts like erupting and they're following all of us. Cause it was, it was Spencer. It was Pete. It was myself. That was, I think it was just the three of us running and it was just cheers erupted. And from there, nothing, I didn't eat any of the cliff things, nothing physiologically happened, but that next three miles were faster than any of the miles. And I felt unbelievable. I felt totally. so good running through that. My hip flexors weren't as tired, like my feet. And you're like, what happened? What is that mechanism? So just to say like, hey, if you're taking this and you feel like it's improving, then you should do that. But that like brain belief. It's like, you know, how do you bottle that? How can I set, how can I sell belief to someone? I guess, I guess probably a lot of people do that, but interesting. It is. It's the placebo effect and it's real and it is valuable. But the problem is I can't recommend things because I think some people will get a placebo effect. I mean, that's a little bit weird. It's like, oh, there's not really evidence for this, but maybe you're one of the people cross my fingers that will get a placebo effect. Um, and that's integrity. what a lot of stuff out there is. And, and, People can get effect from things just from the belief in it, which is crazy and also awesome that it happens. But we also just have kind of have to check ourselves like, okay, I feel better, but is my performance actually improving? Because that's in theory why I'm taking this. <laughs> right. And even on the negative side of things, you know, I've been been hanging out and talking a lot with Chris Irwin, who we both know. And I mean, even his like on the mental health side of things, when he started believing that you know, a lot of these things that his brain was telling him from combat experience, from his military experience, and then started physically feeling these things that kind of his brain was telling him or how he describes it. It's like, it's not just on this, this level, but you can also do it on another level where in like the negativity side of it to, to actually start to believe and then feel those things as well. So it's, it's incredible to think about the brain as like as powerful of a tool as it is. Totally. And they see that with nutrition too. It's actually like called the nocebo effect. But people, for example, who believe they have gluten sensitivity, they have different symptoms when they're told that they're eating gluten, even if the item doesn't have gluten in it. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's like the brain is telling them, okay, this is quote bad for me. And therefore they develop the symptoms. Now the symptoms are very real. I like people to understand that. I'm not doubting people's symptoms. What we, what we don't totally understand is why it's happening. You know, is it truly the gluten or is it the belief about the gluten in some cases? Just, boom. I know it's not, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, <clears throat> a point that I think that you, you proved and drove home really well with the beta alanine and how people can be like, oh, there's these significant studies. Uh, and, and I go and myself, like, sure, I'm doing like my own, you know, like quasi unofficial clinical trial, but there's, there's way too many, uh, you know, there's way too many factors in it. There's way too many. You know, it's like, what's the, what are the denominators that are, that are common in this? And I remember reading an article and it was, they had this controlled study where there were 60 people that, that shaved with clippers 
And then there were 60 men that shaved with razors. And mm. after what, however many years the study was, the people who shaved with razors, they had an increased risk of getting cancer relative to the people who shaved with clippers. And so the study reads, shaving with a razor greater increases your risk for cancer. And then people are like, I can't shave with the razor. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, whoa, like right. who were these people? Jeanette, like what is, was it the same person? There's all of these things where it's like, and I don't, I guess I don't blame people who aren't looking into it for reading and believing and understanding these things and being like, oh, I, I can't do this. I don't want to get cancer. And you're like, well, you know, how is that? Like, why is that, you know, allowed or, or, or what's a way to try to like sift through that type of information when it comes to nutrition? Hmm. Well, that's tough. That's kind of like asking, you know, about headlines, really, you know, people will kind of read the headline. And um, I just caution people that there's a like, you're just already mentioning, there's a lot of factors that go into all of these disease outcomes that it's, it's very rarely ever one thing. In fact, one of my principles, it's never one thing I said, ever rarely, sometimes there might be a genetic component that really is the driver there. But there's so many factors that Honestly, these headlines, because they have to get our attention, they focus on one factor and we often aren't getting the whole picture kind of like you're saying. So I think try to keep that in mind um, is that headlines media is driving attention. They're not driving accuracy and that maybe you're getting part of the picture, not the whole picture. Yeah. Is there any, are there any sources that you mm. trust and recommend? Are there any books where you're like, hey, this has been really beneficial? I mean, outside of your obviously extensive right. formal education on this type of stuff, but someone from, you know, for instance, like a like the Connors of the world, be like, hey, if you read this, this might give you a little bit better insight or direction. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of looking over here at some of the books I have. I do like the book, um, The Hungry Brain by Stefan Guiné. Um, it, it's talking about kind of what drives our motivation to eat, which I think people will find interesting. It is a little bit more technical. It is certainly mainstream, but it is a little more technical on the end of mainstream. I also like the book Flexible Dieting by Alan Aragon. Um, I think that just does a really great job of kind of a non-biased approach. It is for a little bit more of the fitness crowd, which I think aligns well with, with you all, but it's just very kind of matter of fact. This is what the evidence says, and it's not written in a highly technical way. I think it's very accessible. Um, and I'm sure there's a couple others that are just not coming to mind at the moment. I do like um, Bio Lane. I'm sorry, Lane Norton, Fat Loss Forever. It's an ebook. Gets again a little bit technical on the science, but has a lot of great application in it as well. And I think all of those are great resources for people. I recently um, <clears throat> almost finished reading a book called Bad Pharma. It was one of those ones mm. that you know, like CrossFit recommended, and. It's really, really interesting, like very much so. And it goes into like the studies and it goes into to trials of things and how nothing is necessarily needed to be reported and how there's been trials of one thing that went really, really poorly and they didn't report it. And then hmm. 50 years later, they did the same trial, the same things happened. It was like all of this stuff that makes you, you know, upset at the pharmaceutical industry and at, you know, this isn't actually what happened or they did this control test not against a superior supplement, but one that they know doesn't work. And so then they could say against others. And it was, a, it's just really, really interesting in that. But I, like in my applications, like, okay, well, maybe I just don't need a lot of supplements. Like that's what I get mm. from it. It's like great information mm. for simple Connor, but 
like, you know, where's the application? So I'd imagine the books you're recommending, there's like some, hey, here's something that can, they can help you out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's another book. Burn by Herman Ponzer is, does a great job on explaining metabolism in a, in layman's terms. But, um, I do. I, they all do talk about the science a little bit, which people tend to like because they are confused a little bit with what they see. But I, but I like all of these books because I think they're practical application for people of like, okay, now how do I go put this knowledge into practice? I think all of them have it for sure. And I know for a long time when you were a flow master on CrossFit seminar staff, um, we were, we were kind of preaching the zone. Really it was like, Hey, we want you know, now, especially with the nutrition lecture changes, I actually just gave it this last weekend and it was, Hey, here's a bunch of different ways. We just mm. want you to start somewhere. Mm. What is a, I mean, it, you, I would imagine did zone or experience zone for a, a amount of time. What do you think for someone who's like, Hey, what is the zone? Who's Dr. Barry Sears? Mm. How could I get started? What do you think are like the, like the goods and bads from, from a diet like zone? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think what is best about how CrossFit approached nutrition, at least I can speak through 2017 that was driven by Greg, is that if you want to optimize performance, which again, the original intent was forging elite fitness, you have to have measurable, observable, repeatable data on your nutrition. And I 100% agree with that. I also think that a lot of our confusion in the nutrition space is because what drives the results people want are quantifiable data. Tell me the calories. Tell me the macronutrient grams. Tell me if you're hitting the right amount of magnesium. Tell me if you're hitting the right amount of fiber. But no one wants to weigh and measure their diet. <laughs> so here, that's the data that will give you the answers. But yet, it's kind of at odds with our culture and how we want to live life. But yet, that is the answer. What we want comes from the numbers. And so that's what's great about the zone is it does have people take data on their diet. Now, in full disclosure, I think the whole block system, it's it creates a level of complexity without utility. Like, hey, guys, we all work in macronutrients and calories. Why don't we just use that? <laughs> Why yeah. are we going to come up with another system that supposedly is easy, but now we have to memorize and manage the conversion between the two? I don't totally get that, but whatever. From a conceptual standpoint of, hey, we have to weigh and measure our diet, I think it's 100% dead on. I just don't think that everybody wants to do that. And I think that's, you know, also, I'm guessing what CrossFit is recognizing now of like, hey, there's other ways that maybe we can get at this endpoint without all of that work. Um, but that is what's great about the zone. It's also, you know, I disagree with this, Dr. Sears that there's this magic ratio of 40, 30, 30 in the sense of... Um, you know, some optimal hormonal response. But I agree that a balanced macronutrient diet is quite sustainable and, and good for performance. It's just that it doesn't have to happen at this precise 40, 30, 30, that somewhere in the ballpark is going to be a wide enough strike zone for many, many people doing CrossFit or CrossFit type training. Mm. So there's some things there. So there's some tenants there that I love. Um, I think some of the details I think can um, be let go or just done a little bit more cleanly. Yeah. And if, funny enough at lunch, <clears throat> you know, because we have to, you know, we talk in reference to zone. I had a participant be like, Hey, we just kind of break it down for me. I'm like, sure. So, you know, we have nine, seven, three here. And like, you're going to want to know just some general guidelines on what's going to happen here. So it's like, so, you know, what would be one block of carbohydrates and, you know, looks in the manual and it's like, okay, so, you know, whatever, half banana and then for protein. And then, you know, when I go to fat, he's like, well, isn't there fat in the egg that I have for protein. And you're like, yeah, but we're not, we're not going to count. We're not going to count that towards. And then, so yes, there are, there are now 
I think as far as like a baseline and starting point, and especially with macros, that was like the very hard conversation when people mm-hmm. are like, well, I have this app and it just gives me like all, every, all of them, er, everything very precisely. Everything. <laughs> and you're like, that's cool. But you know, and then, yeah. but so like the, you know, that is, I think obviously the, the best way to really optimize, to get to, you know, and, and, and again, with the audience that we're speaking to, there's people that are like 800 gram challenge. I can't wait to start that. And there's people yeah. who are like, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm very, very good at that, but I'm trying to figure out my performance and performance mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Right? There's some people mm-hmm. who are like, I want to get stronger, but I, I still want to look like this. And at first, you know, when I first started CrossFit, it's like, don't give a shit about what you look like. Oh, it's all about performance. And so you're like, well, I, I, I kind of just kind of want to stay in this area. Is, like, is that possible? Is when you go to like a, a system of starting to weigh and measure, it's like weighing the food is kind of, a, I think, a great step in it. When you talk about the 800 gram challenge, now you just went, you just put it on a scale and you're like, this is what I'm going to eat. But then obviously the, the amount of grams and, and all that stuff from any of the apps, what is, what is a good baseline for someone to start? They're like, hey, I really want to, I mm. really want to get to the optimize. What's, what do you think is a good mm. way for someone just to start? Yeah. Um, to be honest, that's why I developed what I'm now calling my three pillars method. But I do have people go through the 800 gram challenge, develop consistency there. I then have them basically do lazy macros, which is they continue to do the 800 gram challenge and then they hit a protein target. They're doing all of these things, what I consider on the post-it note method. They're just writing down the weight of their fruits and vegetables. Then they're writing, you know, big contributors towards their protein target. They're getting that dialed. They are doing that for months. They're on their fruit and veggie train. They're on their protein train. And now they're ready to optimize. And believe me, some people will take more than months to do that because habit change is hard. Then and only then I would have people start to record everything. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. There's We talked about the psychological component. There are so many people who, as soon as they start to record, their behavior just goes out the window. It's like they're now just super restrictive because they see the calories at the top. <laughs> it's like, this isn't what you eat. They have these ideas of what they should be eating. What you think you should be eating is one of the biggest roadblocks or limiters for people's progress. They have all these preconceived notions about what those numbers should be. Oh, my goodness. So I try to build a lot of habits before we even get to that stage. Um, and then, like I said, it doesn't fit with a lot of people's lives. A lot of people don't want to do it. And so that's why I have this lazy macros idea. It's like, maybe I can get there. Maybe we can start to see the performance gains enough, the weight loss gains enough, and not do all the freaking weighing and measuring. That if you just track on enough protein a day, enough fruits and veggies in a day, then it turns out we don't have enough room for too many beers. <laughs> right. We have room for a beer. We don't have room for five beers. So that's another reason why I go through the progression. It's like, what's the least amount of work I can do with somebody to get the goals you want? And if we do have to get to weighing and measuring, it is an awesome tool and I love it. But a lot of times just out of the gates, People don't have experience with it. It doesn't fit with life. It, it typically goes horribly wrong, in my opinion. And I've stopped doing it with clients. We do not weigh and measure everything out of the gates. And I'd have to agree with clients I've worked with. Although, and I'm sure, you know, there's the there's the exception, not the rule. <laughs> I have seen someone that has, at, whether it was waking up and looking at themselves in the mirror, or whether it was someone who, who couldn't get off the ground trying to play with their kids, or some sort of life event that happened where someone said, I'm changing this. And they've come to me and they're like, I need to change. Give it to me. And you're like, all right. And hundred pound weight loss stories that, you know, like getting in the right direction. But there are fewer of those than there are even, you know, you know, immense amount of successes from hundreds of other people. But there are those people who are, who are ready to change. 
And I think there's that, you know, they, they finally reach that point in life. And it's usually the extreme. It's not someone who's like, hey, I'm generally like middle of the road, like things are going well. I'm going to make this big change. It's usually someone where they have that scare or their doctor's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to orphan your kids soon if you don't figure your shit out. And then. Yeah. And I, I would just also sometimes, though, even with the extreme people who are ready to make the change is is sometimes what we see is like extreme change oftentimes leads to like a short term change <laughs> mm-hmm. because they haven't built up an, enough of the time to make that truly a habit. Right. So they're like, I'm going to 1200 calories. And it's like, yes, they can lose weight there. And yes, maybe they do it for a few months. And then it's like, okay, this is not livable. (laughs) And they haven't built up the habits at a livable number of calories, right? And so that's why we see a lot of weight regain. There's other reasons for weight regain too, but it's just sort of like, this is even with some of those people, I still like to pump the brakes a little bit because half of the battle is creating the habits that Mm -hmm. will stick for life, not just creating the change, right? You know, I didn't didn't really think about it like that, where let's say someone is consuming 3,500 calories a day. And they say, I'm going to eat 1200 calories a day because that's going to fast track them to lose weight. And I don't care, you know, as, as you know, and you've preached before, like if you're eating less calories than you're burning in a day, like you're going to lose weight. Like there's, yeah. there's no other like magic that goes into it. And sure. There's some, some other things as far as like, kind of like what exactly you're eating or at what times, but, or at what levels, but then yeah, cool. It's four months in. And then it's like, all right, I don't this isn't, this is no longer sustainable for me. Sure. They saw that like, you know, the 50, 60 pound weight loss, but I've definitely had clients that have had that. And then it's like, I've fallen off a bit because then they fall back to 35 as opposed to going, I'm going 2,200 calories a day and I'm going to slowly start to lose weight. And then in two years, it's a hundred pound weight loss. But in their sense, they're like, this is me. Like, this is what I'm doing from totally. here on out because it is sustainable. Do you think there's exactly. anything, do you think there's anything to that, that jumpstart though? Do you think there's anything mm. to be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to hit this to, to get you motivated, to get mm. you excited about, Holy crap, I've lost 20 pounds in two months. And then maybe pull the gear into fifth and be like, all right, instead mm. of 1200, we're going to 17 in this, the results are going to be a little slower, but we're going to continue to make it. So do you think there's any benefit to that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, there's lots of ways to skin the cat. I'm sure people have had success with that. I think, um, I think I've probably just defaulted now to like, guys, we're going slow and steady. (laughs) Only because I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have gained weight back after weight loss. And, um, and I think I kind of said it on a podcast recently, I think you could argue that weight loss is almost successful in our country. It's that weight loss maintenance is not. And again, there's other reasons for that, our food environment, hunger, appetite cravings, all of that stuff. But still it's like, okay, we're not really good at keeping the weight off. So I just default to like slow and steady because these need to be rock solid habits if we expect to do this in the long term. And I just think when we kind of go about it in a slower pace, that's what we're doing. We're just building the habits to keep doing it. And I'd imagine that's where probably from that is where the 800 gram challenge kind of started is here's a really, really simple baseline. Do you have mm-hmm. any baselines even before that? Are there ever people that you work with that are like, I mean, we're talking like TV show, like the, you know, like yeah. my 600 pound life where it's like, Hey, we got to, you know, before we even change, is, is there, is there like a movement sequence that you pair with it? Is there mm. something where it's like, you know, it's obviously there's ways it need to be individually yeah. based, but 
you know, to the, to the masses, you know, to the, the masses of 14 people who are going to listen to this, to my podcast, probably more of it since you're on it, but, um, to even give them more to like, Hey, here's even a way to start to turn the tables. Yeah. Um, obviously movement can help sleep can help all of the lifestyle stuff and whatever they can do there that feels sustainable. Um, from a nutrition perspective, I hate to sound like I have one trick in the bag or tool in the bag or whatever, but I do pretty much start with the 800 gram challenge. Now that doesn't mean everybody hits 800 grams. Some people just figuring out what fruit to eat at breakfast is going to be what we do for weeks. Right. And so you definitely can scale that. But to me, it's like such a central component to the diet. It's such a way to feel full in a modern food environment. It provides so many great nutrients that I just don't know. Like other people will recommend starting with protein first. I just don't feel like I get the same return on investment in terms of the overall diet shifting as I do with fruits and veggies. That's a bias. That's my belief. And so that's why I start there. But yeah, you certainly can scale the number and figure out what this person can do towards that number. Because admittedly, 800 grams out of the gates for some people is going to feel like way too much and they're not interested and, and, and won't stick with it either. Well, I've, I've done the 800 gram challenge a couple of different times. One when we did it as a, as a unit at yeah. Reebok. And, um, and there were definitely times where I was like, all right, I'm going grapefruit to kick things off today because, you know, we need to get, I need to get some, some of these, you know, what, what do you call it? The weight belt of the 800 gram challenge. The belt, in yeah. Me. yeah. But, um, yeah. So there were times where I'm like, man, like the end of the day, I'm looking, I'm like, mm, I got to do this. Everyone else is doing it. Um, to where the 800 grams was difficult, not unattainable. And the more yeah. you prepare and plan for it, obviously the easier it's going to be. But, um, <clears throat> In terms of starting off, if there if there, you know, some fruits that you're like better than others, or you're just like, hey, mm-hmm. let's let's just you know, let's just start. Let's just start going down yes. this route. Let's just start. I don't care if it's if you're eating a standard American diet and you want to do 800 grams of watermelon, like let's go. You know, like if you want to yeah. do if you're eating a standard American diet and you want to do 800 grams of potato, let's go. Like this is, I think, where people miss the mark in nutrition. They're always looking for this perfect. And it's like, no, 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 we got to go. We got to start. We got to make change. And we got to make change where the person's willing to make change. Get the inroads, get the win. That's half the battle. You want them feeling the win. Now, I know like, um, what's his name? John Berardi, when he's still running Precision Nutrition, I think his first step with clients was something like take a multivitamin every day. And it was more for the psychological aspect of like, this is something you can do. And you've proven to yourself that you can do it. Um, I still go with like a food change mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's like, I'm not going to suggest strawberries. Maybe you hate strawberries. Like pick, pick there's gotta be something in the fruit and vegetable genre you like. <laughs> so we're going to pick one and we're going to go with what you like. And then we'll just worry about tweaking it as we go. So, yeah. Do you recommend anything for water intake during this mm-hmm. time? Or, I mean, I would imagine obviously if someone is poor with water intake yet, they start eating that amount of fruit and vegetables. It's obviously going to up the amount there, but Anything with just regular water intake? Yeah, I let people, for the most part, just go based on thirst. And combination of kind of a pale yellow urine is a great guide, in my opinion, those two things. I think giving out the numbers can be a little confusing confusing because those numbers that we typically hear actually include the water in our food. And as you just pointed out, the 800-gram challenge contains a lot of water. So I have seen people make a mistake, like, I'm doing the 800-gram challenge and a gallon of water a day. I'm like, you are going to feel like a water balloon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and going to the bathroom every 15 minutes. Right. Right. And I actually find that I don't, I probably don't drink that much water relative to some other people, but I also am very consistent with the 800 gram challenge. Right. So this is where it's like, Hey, drink to thirst, pale yellow urine, I think are some great guidelines for people um, that are easy to live by versus kind of 
X ounces or whatever. I love how simple you keep it because it's like <laughs> you can you can get it started. And we were just you know before we started recording, kind of discussing some people who again great information that you want to go above the top, and people are like, oh, if I if I fast and then I drink lemon water while I consume my blueberries and eat, right. you know, a piece of toast, then it's going to optimize. And you're like, well, you know, you ate three Snickers bars and a piece of pizza the day before. Right. Like what's, you know, let's, <laughs> let's not, let's not, as yeah. we say, major in the minors. Sometimes I'm not sure, like, and that's one of the reasons I still really like doing, you know, my master class. Of course I like helping people and all of that stuff, but it, it's my reality check. Like, is what I'm saying actually working? Is this, because it's like, sometimes I'll hear these recommendations, like who are their clients? <laughs> like, I don't know who their clients are, but I feel my clients are very, you know, at the high end of proactive individuals interested in their health, professionals, busy lives, demands on their schedules. And they're not worried about whether or not their lemon water is paired with their blueberries. You know, they're just, we're just trying to get through the basics consistency of fruits and vegetables and not overeating the chips on the weekend or whatever it might be, right? And that's where like, over 90% of people are and just need to keep hearing that message. Well, I, I love the, like I said before, the simplicity that you bring. And it's interesting that you that you bring up um, Coach Mike Birdner because I was blown away, one, by just everything that that man does. When he came out for the training grounds, um, he was on the floor coaching anyone and everyone who was willing to who was willing to listen. You know, he was there for these CrossFit Games athletes, yet he's there for the 6.30 a.m. class coaching people, doing strict pull-ups in the back, but that's what I remember specifically. And he helped me significantly. And again, it could be that mental aspect of Coach Mike Birdner's giving me coaching cues here. So this is where it's about to go down. But anything he was giving me was, was simple, things I could focus on, not nuking it. I know he has that information. I know he has it in him. But it was like I remember on the jerk, just like the simplest cues of, of patience and just jumping harder. And and then it was like consistent and I broke through these barriers of that, that person who didn't have the, who had the knowledge without the ego to deliver it to someone who, if I didn't know anything about him, I'm like, Oh, you know, that, that old, that fit old man just really helped me with a, with a couple of really cool coaching cues. But knowing that the knowledge that you have and your ability to distill it, to help the masses and, and real help, not just, you know, create a podcast about all these crazy things and everyone listens to it, but there's no action behind it. And so I encourage everyone who's listening to this, because we're, we're just over our hour mark here, I encourage everyone that's listening to this is to look up EC, look up, what's your um, Instagram handle? Optimize Me Nutrition on Instagram and Facebook. We'll put it in the, in the notes section here, in the comment section here. But, you know, to simplify it, try the 800 gram challenge. If you're an instructor, try this for your people. Even if it's not something where you're like, I don't really give nutrition advice. It's like, cool you can be the quarterback and, and hand it off right over to, you know, the 800 gram challenge, hand it off to EC to be able to get people moving in the right direction. That's, that's really what we want. But just to commend you on how incredible it is, one, having you on here, but two, knowing your level of knowledge and how simple you've, you've uh, been able to break it down to is it's just so cool. Well, thank you. It's really fun to be on to see you. And uh, I hope your listeners try some fruits and veggies in their diet. I hope they already are, but odds are some of them probably need another reminder. But um, if you need anything from need to contact EC, I'm sure if you, is there like DM, Instagram, email, what's yep. the best way to reach get a hold out? Of? Reach out, website also optimizemenutrition.com. Lots of resources there. I'm on social, as we mentioned. And uh, my podcast is The Consistency Project, but 
Yeah, dig in. <laughs> well, again, thank you for your time coming on here. One, obviously, as someone incredibly knowledgeable in not just the nutrition space, but the fitness space, but two, also as a good friend. Always good to, always good to see you. Yeah, thank you so much. And you guys can always follow us at Big Night Fitness um, on Instagram and then my handle at Connor T. Murphy if you want just random nonsense. But outside of that, thank you guys for listening and we will see you guys next week. 